Welcome back to season three of the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and root cause protocol consultant. I'm here to share my human experience as well as have powerful conversations with the leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The human experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, and normal human responses, and connecting emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. The human experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The human experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Joining me on my experience podcast. Excited to chat with you today about so many different things. Mm-hmm. I've been around for months now. I mm-hmm. really love, absolutely love everything you have to share. Mm-hmm. So, for starters, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I am just as equally excited. This is a really fun topic to chat on, and I'm so excited to dive in. But my name is Caitlin, like you said, and I am a mama of two toddlers. My oldest, Sayla, is four, and then my youngest, Gemma, is two. And then I've been married to my husband, Brandon, for a little over five years now. And we live in Idaho. And yeah, that's just a little bit of background about our family. and. The little girls were raising. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, your parenting style because it mm-hmm. is just different, but I feel like it's yeah uh, what we see in today's world. Um, mm-hmm. Were you always so passionate about parenting, like mm-hmm. with your parents and what you saw yeah. growing? Yeah, there? yeah, that's a good question. I think I. I've always wanted to be a mom. So to some extent, I've always been, you know, kind of passionate about the, the idea of raising kids, but I grew a really, really deep passion for, you know, the kind of concept of gentle parenting when I was pregnant with my oldest, um, obviously had no kids and had no grid for what it would be like to actually raise my own kids. And whenever we'd run into people, we were met with really negative, you know, experiences or remarks or kind of like cultural norms, such as, you know, you know, enjoy the snuggles, but wait till they're toddlers and they're going to be terrible. You know, wait till they're in middle school and they're going to have a bad attitude. And in high school, you're just going to hate each other because you're going to be arguing all the time. And we just kept getting all these same remarks, my husband and I, we just realized like if we really took everyone's advice and clumped it together, then we honestly would not have a good relationship with our kids from two to 18. And I was like, this just cannot be the way that we were designed to, you know, parent designed to do relationship with our kids. And it's not the design of family. And so, you know, that really got us like diving deep into what we wanted to create and trying to discover, you know, what do we want our normal to be? 
And even like clumping in some of the things, you know, our parents did with us or some of the things our parents didn't do with us, that played a huge part. I would say that neither of our families were, you know, kind of what you would discover in like the mainstream gentle parenting. And I honestly think there's so many different ways to parent and there's a lot of like core foundational things you can lay, but ultimately every family is going to look so different. And my family, for instance, really prioritized connection and like just dropping everything to be together, to have lots of time together, to do trips together. Like my dad would skip work to come to my school to eat lunch with us, to go to my games. If I had like a speech or something, he was always the one that wanted to be on the field trips. You know, like my parents were just involved in everything and they really paved a good example for connection first. And so I think that led me and and gave us a really good foundation for what we wanted to prioritize in raising our girls. Yeah, and it's so beautiful to witness because um, I think we talked about the presence aspect of things and mm -hmm. I am someone who always had my parents around and they yeah. That, but then we look at family dinners and our bonding time. Mm. It was lack of presence. And I'm actually finding this in my day to day right now. I'm wow. actually having a hard time remaining present mm -hmm. with loved ones or like on vacation or something. And mm -hmm. I and I try my best, but it's it's definitely a battle for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, which actually brings me to my next question about, you know, I've seen a post that you posted um, about TV time. Yeah. time. Girls haven't seen a TV yeah. in their lives. Like, do they even yeah. know? <laughs> I know. It's so funny, actually. For the longest time, it's funny that you say that. For the longest time, they thought remotes were like these little, like, weird like they had no idea what a tv remote was like say we'd go to like an airbnb or like to family's houses or to friends houses you know they always have the remote on the coffee table and my kids thought it was just like this funny little toy that they could play with and so it's like a really new concept for them because we're like wait you can't actually click on those buttons because you might like ruin someone's tv but they didn't even know like what a tv or a remote was because we didn't have that and that goes back to even when Brandon and I got married before we had kids, one of the main things that we actually liked about each other, which was so random, was that neither of us wanted to have TV. And at the time, I don't think we had really put two and two together of why we so deeply both didn't want TV. And it's exactly what you said, because, you know, we both grew up in families where our parents were really connected and really present. I think mine more so even than his, but like, you know, his family always had the TV on. They always had the computer on. There was always video games, always movies, but there wasn't a lot of like heart to heart connection going on. And he didn't really realize that until later into adulthood, like honestly, later into us being married. And so, you know, I think subconsciously when we were getting married he didn't even realize it and neither did I but it was like we I just don't want that tv there because that was like almost like a source of trauma he didn't even know about until later and so we were both super excited we're like okay we're not gonna have a tv and everyone will always be like what do you guys do together and we're like we talk like we play games together we talk we read books you know we just enjoy each other and we don't have that distraction i'm not saying that nobody should have a tv and that your marriage is going to be awful if you have one 
at the same time, like it, I've heard it said by a few counselors that a TV can be such an intimacy robber. And I think especially in preparing to have kids, like you want to have such an intimate foundation with your partner, with your spouse, and you want to be able to have lots of time to have like dialogues and conversations about what you're going to do when you have kids and what it's going to look like when you raise them. So that was kind of the foundation we had laid. Like it wasn't really a hard decision for us not to have screen time for our kids because we already didn't have screen time for ourselves. And a lot of parents have boundaries for their kids' screen time, but they have no boundaries for their screen time. And they kind of create this double standard that can be really confusing to their kids. And they're like, why are my kids so entitled? They always want more screen time it's like well what are you modeling for them like are you watching a lot of tv do you have no boundaries on your phone because they're just recreating what they're seeing in you and so if they see you watching a lot of tv then rightfully so they're going to want to watch more tv as well um and so we don't we don't really have that hassle or that fight with our kids because we just have never had a TV. And this has produced, like you were talking about, like the ability to be really present. I mean, there's always a struggle. Like even if you don't have a TV, you can still not be a very present parent. So there's always like a struggle to not be fully present, but at the same time, we're removing one of like the biggest pieces that hinders like presence in a family. And it forces us to connect. It forces us to go outside. It forces us to do things that entertain them, that keep them occupied, that keep them happy. And same with us. So we honestly spend the majority of our days outside. We wake up and we eat together and we've like really structured our lives in a very like countercultural way in the sense like we run our own business. So the girls get a lot of time with both of us. Um, and so we get a lot of time outside, a lot of quality time all together. And we just get to prioritize what I said was our main priority, which is connection. And, you know, TV can sometimes be a really, really big hindrance of that connection. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I love how that's their foundation. Like mm -hmm. that's them. And I feel like the kids who are being exposed to TV time now, um, it's it's harder to, to pull that away from yeah. mm -hmm. As adults too, I feel like it's harder to pull us away right. from And I also true is as an adult, I feel like, you know, entering the pandemic and stuff, I know a lot of people were struggling with this because mm -hmm. out, things like that. And so they were forced mm -hmm. I technology probably one of the most unhealthiest habits that you can have with your black right. like Facebook face right. and we're just bombarding ourselves with screen time which mm -hmm. I is a, a big source of numbing yes uh, can you touch on that a little bit more and how that pertains to um you mentioned trauma with your mm -hmm. it's been going down can you expand on that a little bit more and yeah. how that I guess this played a role into his parenting too. Yes. Yeah. I think that's like what I was saying, you know, is we, we never had a TV, but even now as my husband's gone into his past and his pain and his trauma, he's realized like he's even more present now. And, you know, we've never had a TV. So the TV wasn't the source of like us not being able to be present, but his pain was keeping him from being able to be present. And I think, you know, like I've mentioned that, I would say like entertainment, the entertainment industry, because like, you know, we say TV now, but you can watch anything on your computer or your phone. So, you know, I'm just meaning like any way of really numbing out, like you were saying in the sense of like having a 
object that you use for your entertainment, whether that be Netflix or social media or movies or TV. And it can really lead you to this place where you're not, you're not diving deep into connection with your loved ones, with your spouse, with your partner, with your kids. Um, and you get into this really, really numb space. And my husband grew up in a family, like I was saying, where, where the TV was always on. And as he looked back into his past, he realized like, he always felt so anxious because he would look around, you know, and this is really vulnerable to share, obviously, because this is his family. We're still in like such a good relationship with his family. We love his family and we have a really, really good connection with them. But at the same time, like you have to be healthy you know, enough to be able to say, parents, I love you, but also like here's some of the ways that that I felt neglected or I didn't feel served or loved or I was missing things from you. And so, you know, when I share this, it's from a place of like, we, we genuinely still love them and have like a good relationship with them. But, you know, he would look around and feel so anxious because it was like, okay, mom's on her phone and dad's at the computer playing solitaire. And it's like, neither of those things are necessarily bad. Like his parents weren't doing bad things and they were in the room with him but they were so disconnected and checked out that he was just kind of left to himself. And so he played video games, like honestly, most of his life, when we compare our childhoods, like it's like so drastically different because I did so much more outside and with friends and he had lots of friends and stuff, but they played video games together. And, you know, I think sometimes we lump that to like a boy thing, but honestly, it's really not like girls have just have different ways of numbing out or coping with their parents not fully being present and so you know seeing that modeled you know his parents were christians they were loving they still are they desired connection you know they wanted to connect with him they just were so consumed with this entertainment world that they couldn't really get out of it and so that really like drove like a really deep wedge in their relationship and like when he he kind of hit rock bottom in our marriage where he was just, he was, you know, addicted to inappropriate content online. He was numbing out on his phone in all different kinds of ways, essentially trying to escape having to go back into his pain and heal from all the wounds of his childhood. Cause he didn't, that's scary. It's so scary to go back into those places. So he's just running around trying to escape that, but it was making him anxious because he's just constantly trying to avoid thinking about his pain, but it's still there subconsciously. And so he honestly just hit this rock bottom where it's like, I'm anxious every single day. Like I'm depressed. I can't like figure out what to do, but I'm so numb. I can't feel anything. And obviously like this is driving a huge wedge in our relationship because there's this sense of betrayal and how I'm treating you and what I'm viewing online. And then there's a lack of presence with our kids because he's so anxious. He can't just like sit down and be still. And so it just drove him to this place where he's like, I need to find healing. And at that time we didn't really know what it would look like, but we've now learned that it looked like going back, going back to the past, like reliving some of those memories from his childhood, whether that be, you know, from things that happened to him or some things that didn't happen to him. And just talking through that and having so much grace for his story and for his processing and finding healing in those wounds and then growing emotionally, just gaining emotional intelligence because a lot of things he wasn't taught. He was just taught like, here's a screen, go chill out. And I think a lot of times we use screens as babysitters in our culture for our kids. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just really tired because I had a long day at work or I'm a stay at home mom and I have a lot going on. I need to do the dishes or 
whatever's on my plate. And I, I, you know, there's no shame and, you know, needing to use it at some times, but it's like, if it becomes the only babysitter, you know, my husband's kind of like the story of what that turns into is just kind of these numbed out kids are like, well, I guess I don't know what else to do. And I just keep getting handed these screens. Um, And so, yeah, that's just a little bit, you know, his healing journey is like a really long story in and of itself, but it was a lot of going back into his past, realizing some of the trauma that he had there and then going into it so that he could experience healing. Um, and then, you know, also when we look at, you know, like, I think everyone should experience healing and go back into the past regardless of their parents, but especially parents, because you essentially have these wounds that are bleeding onto your kids and you don't even know it. And essentially you're going to recreate the very things that you probably don't want to recreate that traumatized you when you were kids and trauma. When we think of trauma, it's like, oftentimes we think, Oh, only the kids that were abused physically or verbally were, you know, experienced trauma growing up. It's like, no, no, no. Like your teacher telling you, you didn't do good enough on your, on your report card, you know, like that's trauma. If that is impacting you, triggering you to this day, like that's trauma that needs to be addressed and healed. You know, if like a friend told you you were fat, like it could be anything from small to big that you have trauma from. And normally we have trauma from tons of things and we weren't equipped on how to heal from it. And so we're just bleeding out over everybody. Um, And, you know, so that's why we really, really, really value going back into our stories, back into our past with so much gentleness and love and grace for ourselves, not shaming ourselves, not being mad at ourselves, not being disappointed in ourselves, but just loving our story, looking back at it and, you know, being able to heal and grow from there so that we're not recreating that same thing as we raise our kids, whether you currently have kids or whether you plan to have kids, you know, you want to be able to heal from those wounds so that you don't give your kids those same exact wounds. You make so many wonderful points, Caitlin. I can agree with everything. And I feel like you don't really know or know how to go about healing until you know your story. Yes. So true. I was going back and investigating and asking parents questions. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite things to do is like yeah. my mom and dad questions. Like, Hey, how was I, you know, when I experienced this and that, mm-hmm. and what did I not experience things like that? Um, it's, it's curiosity. And yes, I, it's a good word. Shaming, um, mm-hmm. Anyone involved mom and dad did exactly what they thought they all the tools that they had at their disposal right. and that they were given. And I, I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I feel like we're in an era where we're breaking these intergenerational patterns. Mm-hmm. So prominent, at least with the people that I'm exposed to. Yeah, I agree. And I love that your husband's going through that. So yeah. what has parents been taught to both of you? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so many things. I feel like as a parent, you learn so many new things, but I think I'll just speak for myself. Um, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, if anyone's familiar with Enneagram. And so I think my tendency is to control. And when you think about the scope of parenting as a whole, a lot of people, you know, write blogs, posts, books, everything about how to control your kids, how to get them to be obedient. Like essentially seeking obedience is the other, another way of saying seeking control. And for me, that's just like my natural, like, I just want control so bad. And I think thankfully we had a lot of conversations leading up to having kids that 
you know, I was able to recognize that in myself. Cause again, I went into my past and I went into my story and, you know, I am learning about myself. I'm constantly being, getting curious about myself that, you know, I'm able to recognize that. So I think for parents, it's like, the more you understand yourself, the more you can, you know, become a more influential parent and a more healed parent, a more whole parent, um, a more effective parent, a more connected parent. Like the more, you know, about yourself, the goods, the bads, everything, all the things that need to like grow and be worked on, the more you can have tenderness for yourself and really step into um, new versions of yourself and grow. So I think control is like a big one for me that like, I always, um, you know, I'm keeping on the forefront of my mind, like, why am I doing this? Like, is it because I just desire obedience or is it because I desire relationship connection, their long-term health and benefit, you know? Do I just want them to put their shoes on right now because I need to go? Or do I want them to learn how to put their shoes on so that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day they could do it? And that's going to mean I'm going to need to go slow. I'm going to need to teach them. There's going to be some learning curves. I might be a tad bit late. You know, it's not going to be in my schedule, my frame, my world. You know, I think piggybacking off of that, they teach me so much about going slow. Like our culture is so fast paced. It's like, go, 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 do this, do this. And it's just like, we want to like amount to a lot of things and be really successful. And being a mom is so interesting because like you can be successful and be a mom 100% honestly I think being a mom is being the most successful thing you know like just the very fact that you're raising these amazing humans is so successful you don't even need anything outside of that but you can have things outside of that um but I think my kids teach me so much about slowing down just like enjoying the moment just playing just being just calming down like I don't need to rush out the door I don't always need to be doing something I don't know always need to be doing something productive like maybe I'm just going to sit on the ground and like listen to them talk and talk with them and play with the the cars or whatever you know it's just like a really simple way of living a childlikeness like they invite us into becoming like them and being childlike and I think there's so many benefits to becoming more childlike because a lot of us also were rushed when we were children and we didn't even get to experience a lot of childlikeness like you know they say schools now and like preschool and stuff are like already doing grades and curriculums for kids where in the past like when our parents were growing up that wasn't what preschool looked like and so it's like we're kind of already rushing them to prepare for college in this big world and I think kids teach us like just slow down just enjoy what you have right here so I think those are some of the, the bigger key things. There's, there's so many, I mean, I could talk about what they teach me all the time, but I think for me and my personality, I like control and I like going fast. I like being successful. And they teach me like control doesn't matter. Obedience isn't the goal connection is, and just go slow. And when you go slow, you can normally connect a lot deeper. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just want everyone to hear this. Like I <laughs> That needs to be on a post award somewhere and I like we're lacking a lot of that today because the world is so fast yes and um like you well I'm I'm an Enneagram nine I'm a piece mm-hmm. of, I'm a nineing eight mm-hmm. I have I think just and from environmental things that I've learned growing up and yeah stress that I've seen my mom put herself under and mm. like, like fast pace, like go, go, go. And I think right. that was we're trying to control their anxiety in their minds as well. And we're right. kind of getting to the core of mm. what 
causing all that anxiety. So then it, like you said, it was just feeding on that. Um, so when we talk about slowing down, I just think that's so important. There's really, and it's hard too, especially as an eight or I, um, is it sounds like it's so easy to be honest. I know. That was that like a big learning curve for you? Like, or do you still catch yourself in moments where you're like, okay, let me slow down? Oh, totally. Yes, definitely. I think like all the time, I think it's like, you know, like constant little invitations that I hear from myself, like, okay, slow down, enjoy this moment. Okay. You don't need to keep rushing. And I think my husband, I even talk like relating back to TV or entertainment is we think about entertainment, it's like lots of flashing lights and like scenes changing. And it's very like, it's created our minds almost like from a young age to need like these flashing things and this excitement and these like action packed scenes. And I feel like a lot of times we're like, we go outside and we're like, what do I do out here? You know, it's like, wait, there's not an action scene. Wait, this isn't crazy. Wait, there's all these flashing crazy lights. It's like, we kind of are becoming like more familiar with these like man-made, you know, like movies and screens and blah, 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 and less familiar with like this world that's been here this whole time. That's so healing and nurturing and we're missing out on so much. And so, you know, I think it really, it's all different, but it all really ties in together. Like, you know, I go outside with my kids and it's like, okay, there's not, there's literally nothing else to do out here except for just to be and to be present. And I think, you know, regardless of personality type, just because of culture and how we're raised in the world that we live in, like, it's such a good thing to practice. Like, even if you want to keep the TV in your home, just practice, you know, like going outside and doing quote unquote, nothing, you know, like, sometimes I just like, I used to tell myself like that I needed to do strength training and blah, 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 blah. And I couldn't just stretch because that was nothing. Like I was doing nothing good for myself because it's all about what am I like the progress, you know, like I need to do this and do this so that I look this certain way, or I can see like change happening. And I feel like we're so unfamiliar with like maybe just doing things that that are just like good for us but not like necessarily like giving us that six pack or this million dollar business or you know this big huge house or whatever it is like we all have these huge goals and we have a hard time just like being here like right now in the present and in the middle and not with this big glamorous successful life or body or blah 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 so um I think yeah just this calming down and being still, I think is a daily invitation that I, I try to accept even like, as I wake up, just like, I have no idea what today is going to bring. Like to some degree I do, but to some degree I don't. And I'm just going to be present in the moment. And like the wind just kind of like going with the flow, which is very not like me, um, you know, but just learning to just enjoy it moment by moment, whatever it is, even if it's hard, even if my kids woke up and they're kind of grumpy, it's like, you know what, today can still be a good day. I can still be present today. We can still go slow today. We can still enjoy each other today. And yeah, so I think it's a daily invitation that I have to learn to accept. (laughs) I always talk to my clients about like, it's not about perfection. It's not about this never. Mm -hmm. It's just the awareness around it. And yeah, like just be aware in that moment and like kind of catch yourself, but be gracious with yourself at the same time. Yes, that's really good ourselves up but yes um we have a good point um it makes me think that we because we're in this you know fast world um mm-hmm. we just tie back to 
going back to our childhood and really taking a good look at what we saw growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like today, there's a lot of addiction to chaos and thinking that mm-hmm. we always, if we're going to go outside, maybe it has to be a, a hike or <laughs> yes. Um, where it, like you're saying, you can just go outside and just see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like so far-fetched or it sounds mm-hmm. um, silly to say it's like oh let's see like I feel like I see that like in a quote somewhere <laughs> exactly like a Pinterest quote yeah Pinterest quote but um no it's so true and I feel like that's one of the best things that we can do for our health um mm-hmm. but it, I think in today's world a lot of people have valid reasons as to why they might not be able to slow down but I think it's mm-hmm. like, Maybe that's your like wake up call. Like, yeah, is it so hard for me to slow down? Is it because mm-hmm. my job that requires me to work fourteen hour long days? Right, right. Um, yeah. I don't have time for my kids. Is that mm-hmm. what? That yeah. I cannot give them the time that I want to give them. Um, right. yeah, I feel like everything we're talking about is just an invitation. So. Exactly. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so I want to talk to you about what oh, this is. This is awesome because I was told again going back to childhood. Yeah, um, I was always told you're okay to, mm-hmm. to like just bring the awareness around. Like right. was, I'm not okay. I'm not right. okay. <laughs> you're right. 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 Going to be fine. It might not feel fine right now. Mm. Yeah, like the first instant, and when a baby is like an mm. infant, yeah, you know, like mm. the first in- instinct might be like, okay, it's okay. right, yes, and then that continues into mm-hmm. um, adolescence and adulthood, right. this thing, and it's just like, what is that doing to us, and right. why for girls? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think this conversation, you know, the, the concept of saying you're okay, you know, I think fits into a bigger topic of, you know, teaching our kids about their emotions. And that topic is one that I think I am most passionate about, especially in this season of toddlerhood. Um, You know, I even saw a quote, which I had known this, I just didn't know the exact age, but kids developmentally learn the most that they like emotionally that they need for the rest of their life by age five like that's where they develop the most emotionally which is honestly mind-boggling because we're like we tend to culturally see those years as sometimes the most unimportant like they're just kind of babies they're toddlers like they they're learning a little bit here and there you know they're growing obviously we can see them growing but it's not as important as when they're in middle school and high school, that's when we're going to teach them those lifelong skills that they're going to remember forever. And it's like, actually, a lot of their skills are going to be learned in those first five years. Like emotionally, how mature are they going to be when they're out of your house depends on how you raise them up from zero to five, which to me is just like so countercultural. And like, we don't even talk about that quite enough. So I think that's why this is so important to me is because these first five years, which are also the years that I'm in. So it applies a lot to the life that I'm living currently because, you know, my oldest is not even quite yet five, but she's almost to that mark. I'm like, shoot, did I do this good enough? Um, you know, but obviously we've been working really hard to be intentional 
but um yeah so i think before we before we had them we would like you know go to grocery stores as kind of piggies back off of how we became really passionate about parenting but we'd go to grocery stores or just wherever we maybe would end up being maybe like a family gathering at like a park or whatever or seeing like older mentors raising their kids and you just hear the phrases well first of all you hear no all the time like can I do this no can I do this no like can I go here no and there's like not a lot of other words around it just no 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 and then you also hear all the time you're okay like the kid falls down scrapes their knee and they're crying it's like you're okay you're fine get up you're brave you're so tough and you know I realized looking back now like and even currently the heart behind it is so good like I'm not shaming any parents or trying to tell them they're doing it wrong and that they're bad for wanting to do that. It's like, I see your heart. Like, it's so good. You're wanting to raise these really brave, tough, bold kids um, that that aren't, you know, we think of like, okay, if we tell them they're okay when they scrape their knee, then they're going to grow up to be really tough. And when they lose their job, when they're 25, they're going to know they're okay. And you know, whatever, we like have all these interesting correlations in our brain that we think make a lot of sense. And so I know the intention is really good and pure. Like we just want our kids to be able to, you know, withstand the hard challenges that are going to come in the real, in the real big world outside of our house, which is so true. Like there is hard things that happen, but the way that they're raised emotion, like the way that they're raised to be able to withstand those things is actually the complete opposite of that like they need love they need nurture they need comfort inside of our home so that they feel like they have a safe haven to like rest in to find refuge in and you know it's through these things that they grow the emotional stability to be able to handle um, rejection disappointment and to be able to you know have healthy outlets to look at that and so we noticed a lot of people saying that and we're like oh, this is kind of like frightening. Like this doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. It feels like we're just kind of like shutting kids down emotionally. And so we just started talking together about what we would want to do. And my husband was actually the one who like coined the idea of like, what if we just switched it to something really simple and asking them, are you okay? And especially when they're so little, they might not even be able to respond. But for us, it was kind of like posturing ourselves differently in this, in the sense of, you know, we're not coming to your problem and saying, you're fine, you're fine, calm down, you're okay. But we're like opening ourselves up to say like, how are you? Like, are you okay? How do you feel? Like, I can see this is impacting your world and I want it to impact mine. Like, I want to know how you're feeling. I want to understand. I want to be able to comfort you and to love you with what you need. And that might sound super silly because it's like, well, it's just a little scraped knee, but this is what matters in their little world. And, you know, we have to tend to the things that matter to them in their little world, because, you know, at the same time, you don't ever hear parents saying, oh, I just never want my kids past 18 to come to me with their problems. You know, you always hear parents like, I just want you to know, like, son, you're 18 now, but you can still come to me with your problems. I still want to be a safe place. And it's like, the only way your kids will think you're a safe place is if they felt like you were a safe place when the problems were small and didn't seem to matter, like, didn't seem to be a big deal to you, but they were to them. So we feel like, really feel like that puts us in a place to be able to 
come to them, see what they're feeling, recognize what they're feeling, validate what they're feeling and comfort them and love on them. And this is going to set them up for emotional success, you know? So it's like when, when they are sad that we're leaving the park, it's like, this is a practical example. I see that you're feeling really sad. I see that you're feeling really upset. I completely understand that. Like I would feel really upset if I had to leave somewhere that I loved and that I wanted to stay and play for a while. So I'm seeing them, I'm validating their emotion. And then I might give like a, you know what? We actually, we're planning to come back to this park next Tuesday with our friends, you know, like a re redirecting to something positive because toddlers love being redirected, um, you know, to something more positive that they can like kind of look forward to and set their sights to because in their world, they don't really have a grid for what's even happening tomorrow. And so, you know, instead of just saying, you're fine, babe, we'll come back later, you know, because it's kind of like what that's communicating to them is I don't care that you're sad. And that's not the heart that we're wanting to communicate, but that is what they're registering as. And there's like lots of studies that, you know, talk about when we shut down our kids emotionally, what happens later down the road. Um, and, you know, I think there's just lots of little practical things that we can begin practicing that really set them up for success emotionally. I feel like um, what you're saying is, Caitlin, that this communicating with our children this way will allow them the ability to cope with stress better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I feel like I'm a testimony to this. Um, well, the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> because there, it, that's been a huge trauma for me. Like yeah. going back to like macro and micro trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but it's impacted so many different parts of my life and my ability. Right. I remember like very vividly in high school having like, panic attacks because mm. of something so what felt or like in retrospect might be minuscule but right. in my very large right like the world was going to end right and yeah I just love everything that you're saying I had another thought but I can't remember what it was That's I think that redirecting the focus and the community mm -hmm. their feelings are real and valid because yeah. that's what we're doing is invalidating what they're feeling mm -hmm. and is what we're setting them up for in the future. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. yeah. I was going to say like what we were even talking about and like how we were raised, you know, that a lot of counselors have coined like different attachment theories and there's only one positive attachment and that's a secure attachment. And honestly, not very many adults have a secure attachment. They have one of the others, which is like, um, you know, ambivalent avoider or chaotic and chaotic attachment is that one where, you know, like kind of the, the side of things where you did grow up in like an abusive, abusive home, like physically, verbally that kind of thing um and then the other two is like you know avoider which is like what my my husband's attachment was which is parents might be present but not actually like present in person but not present emotionally and then ambivalent is like your parents were present but only on their own terms and then they also had like a large roller coaster of emotions like they might have been like I love you oh my gosh get away from me you're so annoying it's kind of like these like like severe like um like different like kind of emotions like bouncing back and forth and so you didn't feel very safe because you're like 
wait, can I come to you? Are you going to explode on me? Or are you going to like hug and nurture me? Cause it's all on their terms. It's how they're feeling. It's how they're doing. Um, you know, it's like, did my mom like have her coffee this morning? Can I go talk to her? You know, like that seems like a silly example, but it's like, it's all these different things like, okay, wait, does my mom seem like she's in a bad mood? Okay. I can't go talk to her because I know she's going to explode on me, even though I'm just coming to say, hi mom. So that's kind of that one. And then, you know, avoider, it can look like a lot of different things, but most of the time it's your, your parents didn't show up for your pain that, you know, a lot of the, like, you're okay, you're fine. Those things would create kind of like an avoider attachment, avoiding emotions at all costs, avoiding pain at all costs. And then, you know, there's that secure attachment, which is what we're all as parents raising our kids wanting to create. And you create a secure attachment by comforting your child, by loving your child, by being there when they need you, by being there when they're anxious. And it does not matter if you think it's a big deal at all. Like, honestly, like keep reminding yourself, it doesn't matter if you think it's a big deal. Like, it doesn't matter if when you were a kid, that same thing happened to you and you were fine and you weren't sad about it. You know, you like, it's just all those things. We just have to step into their world. We have to, you know, empathize with them, come down onto their level, understand what's going on with them and then be able to comfort and love them. And that's how we create that secure attachment. You know, when we're talking about, we want our kids to be able to grow up and, and to, to be able to withstand the disappointments of life. Well, they can do that when they have a secure attachment in those first five years and then even beyond, but especially in those first five years, if they felt really comforted and loved by you and attached to you and even the word attached, I feel like there's such like a bad connotation around that. It's like, oh, well, if you're super attached with your kids, then they're probably super needy and entitled. And they're probably just going to like be the ones that call you and asking you for money later on. I'm like, there like there's no studies or anything matching around that like the only studies show that you know when you were raised attached to your parents when they responded to you when they comforted you when you were crying when you were hurting when you were in need like that raises emotionally intelligent adults because they know what to do when they're sad my kids know what to do when they're sad and angry and they're only two and four so I can only imagine what they're going to know that they're going to know what to do when they're older, because I didn't shut them down when they were angry. You know, I don't tell them you can't be angry. That's like a bad emotion to feel. I tell them if you're angry, go hit a pillow, you know, go into your room and you can scream into your pillow all you want. Like, or do you need a hug? What do you need? Like, we just talk about it. We talk it out. And it's such a normal emotion. Like they're totally fine to throw a tantrum if they need to. Like, I obviously don't want them breaking anything in our house or hitting anybody, but like, if they're angry, they need to express that. They're toddlers. They need to be able to outlet their emotions. And honestly, adults throw tantrums all the time because they never learned how to outlet their emotions as kids. And they never had parents who taught them. Toddlers don't grow up knowing how to outlet their emotions. They don't grow up knowing what they're feeling. They need to be taught those things. And there's their primary caregivers are the ones that need to teach them that like they shouldn't be learning that from anybody outside of their primary caregivers so it's like it's my responsibility to teach my kids to be able to label their emotions like I've heard it um, called feel and deal so they're going to feel what they're feeling and then deal with what they're feeling with and they don't learn that on their own and they don't learn that by being shut down because 
obviously, then they don't learn how to feel. And if they don't learn how to feel, then they don't learn what to deal with it, how to deal with it. And then like what we've been talking about, then you grow up numbing out on things because you have to figure out how to cope with these emotions because you will experience anger. You will experience sadness. You will experience disappointment. And if you weren't learned, if you didn't learn how to feel that and how to cope with it, how to deal with it, then you're going to learn how to do that on your own. And it's most likely not going to be healthy. It's most likely going to be like a form of survival, a fight or flight. Like, what am I going to do to be able to deal with this? Because you didn't learn that from those that you, you know, needed to learn that from. So I think that's why this is like so important to me is because it really impacts them for the rest of their life, which is not a burden. It's an invitation and you're going to mess up and it's totally fine to mess up because you can say, sorry, you can take ownership. Like I know I'm going to mess up and I'm honestly totally fine with it. I'm totally fine if I mess up because I know I can go to them and be like, oh my gosh, I botched it and I totally messed up and I'm so sorry I snapped at you. This is why I snapped at you and it's not healthy for me to snap at you when I'm overwhelmed and I'm so sorry. Um, I think even that gives them like emotional clarity of like, oh, I'm going to have a bad day. And if mom feels safe enough to mess up and say, sorry, then I can feel safe enough to mess up and like, you know, say, sorry. Like I don't have to be perfect either. Mom's not perfect. I don't have to be perfect because how many of us are like living, trying to be perfect. Um, you know, maybe because our parents didn't give us good enough examples of saying sorry and taking ownership and showing our flawed sides because we all have flawed sides and we're all growing. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like I could talk about it forever, but, you know, ultimately I'm passionate about it because it sets them up for a lifelong, you know, success. A lot of people that I've spoken to um, might view this style of parent and gentle parent modeling. Respond back to that. Like, yeah, how would you decipher, like, what yeah. is it's such a negative connotation it is yeah I actually I wrote up a post on this recently because I I just feel like I hear it all the time it's like oh if you if you're too loving with your kids like like I've been saying like they're gonna grow up to be entitled and I'm just like if we actually think about it logically like most things in life if we think about it logically that thought does not make any sense and you know boiled down I think it could be displayed as this is like, whenever does love produce anything bad, you know, like real authentic love, you know, obviously there's manipulative abusive love. And I think we all could understand that that's not, that's not real authentic, pure love. And so I'm talking about real genuine, pure love. When does that ever produce anything bad? Like it honestly can't, like, I think there's even been studies, you know, done with those like plants where the people like speak like loving words over the plants and they grow. And then the people speak like hateful words over the other plant and it dies. And they both had like the same amount of water, same amount of soil, food, blah, blah, blah. Everything was exactly the same. And it was a plant, you know, and I just think so much more about like human life. And so it's, for me, it's like, how could we ever say that offering our kids gentleness, kindness, love, forgiveness, grace, like what bad could that ever produce? Those things like good can't produce bad. And, you know, like then I look at fear. I look at punishment. I look at the use of control. Like those are the very things. If we look at like prominent leaders like Hitler and stuff, it's like, what tactics did he use? Fear, intimidation, control, you know, like separating people and causing division. And so it's like, 
that very clearly caused for mass destruction. And so it's like bad equally can't also produce good. So it's like if we're scaring our kids be to, so that they listen to us and scaring that honestly might even look like you can't go outside today if you don't listen to me or you can't watch TV today if you don't do this, you know, these threatenings or even bribing like you can do this if you do that. Like those are used, those are forms of, you know, fear and intimidation. That's control, um, you know, which it's those things. Like I said, those are so easy to go to. Even now it's like for me, I'm like, shoot, I need them to do that. And if I told them they could have this at the end of it, they would do it. But then I'm like, okay, use creativity, Caitlin. What's a creative way that I could, that I could talk with them. So, you know, it's like, you know, we, we can't choose these. I, I just, I, for me, it's just so logical. I'm just like, how could, how do we think that fear, timeout, spanking, punishments is going to create these well-rounded, amazing, nice, respectful humans. I think we also have to look at the place that we're at culturally. Like you're saying, I think a lot of people are starting to become like more aware of childhood wounds and stuff like our, um, you know, like kind of the time that we're living in right now, maybe even because of the pandemic, we're kind of all like trying to figure out our stuff. Um, but we have to like, look at the current state of where a lot of us are, like, are things going really, really well for a lot of people? Or, you know, I, I think a lot of people are familiar with Brene Brown. She says like the time that we're living in right now, we have the most like overweight, addicted, numbed out, like tapped out people, anxious, depressed, the most amount of people on anxiety and depression medicine, you know, the most amount of people that are honestly like dying of all different kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And so we have to take a look at that and go, okay, maybe we're not doing everything right. And maybe there's some things we should look at and assess and address. Why are we all numbing out with food? Why are we all, you know, numbing out with screens? Why are we all numbing out with products such as, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, whatever? Why are we all numbing out with sex? Why, you know, like there's so many things. It's like, well, maybe it's because we didn't have that healthy attachment. Why is everyone going to counseling? I have nothing wrong with counseling. I think a lot of people should be in counseling, but like, why, why are we all so wounded and traumatized? You know, maybe there's a lot of like core things in how we were raised that just need to be readdressed. And and I, I think it's just a bunch of cultural norms that you just have to look look at and assess for yourself. And just like, I think talking out loud with your partner that you're going to have a child with helps because like the more you talk out loud, you can like kind of hear how silly some things sound like, oh yeah, I think when our child hits us, we should hit them back. And then it's like, when you say it out loud, you're like, wait, that doesn't actually make any sense. But if you go with cultural norms and you just take what other people tell you, you don't like, you know, you kind of stop thinking for yourself as much. And it's like, oh wait, these people that look like they have it all together, they spank their kids and their kids listen to them. So I want to, I want to be like them. It's like, well, they're listening to them right now because they're scared of them. But what is that going to look like when they're 18? And, you know, my, my husband and I grew up in the Christian church and we still are a part of a Christian church. And there is so many faulty things going on in the church. And you see so many parents like, you know, getting prayer requests because their, their child just left their house and they're, you know, gone quote unquote wayward. This word we use in the church that describes, that describes teenagers that all of a sudden don't want to go to church anymore. And they don't want to believe in God. And I'm like, you want to know why? Because you scared them. You made them scared. They don't feel connected to you. They don't feel safe. In other words, they don't want any part of the life that they used to live. Um, and so even when I look inside the church, I'm like, you guys, we are doing, we should be the most loving, gentle, amazing people because that's 
what Christ was, but sometimes like Christians are the most, like the concept of uh, spanking, I feel like is most like drove home in the church, which, you know, the church has shaped a lot of cultural views, even outside of the church, just because of how the foundation of like, you know, a lot of things happened in history and, you know, with the Roman church and everything like that. And so it's just like, I feel like just a lot of things that just keep just keep going and passing on and we just don't question it for ourselves we don't look into it for ourselves and we don't follow our instincts because I honestly don't think a mother's instinct or intuition tells them to let their babies cry and scream tells them to spank their kids when they're not listening like I feel like we're kind of started going against our intuition against our instincts against like that that mothering heart that says oh my gosh my child's hurting I need to respond to them it's like wait no culture tells me if I respond to them then you know they're not going to be tough in the big world and they're not going to know what to do and we just kind of have to start following our instincts, thinking for ourselves, looking into things for ourselves, actually looking into studies, um, you know, listening to maybe psychologists and counselor voices, not just people that wrote like a really popular blog post on why you should spank your kids and get them to obey. Um, you know, we just got to do our, with everything in life, we just got to do our own research and, you know, look at the right sources and kind of go from there. I actually just spoke about this a little bit earlier today with someone about, uh, you know, we've been told to trust your doctor, trust anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, we've forgotten to trust ourselves. We forgot. Yeah, so good. Just like tuning in and asking ourselves, like, does this feel right? Does this feel mm-hmm. aligned? Good in my body? Or is this going against my right. body's physiology? asking for when right. it comes to when it comes to when it comes to like you're saying does this feel good with my children right. like as a good mm-hmm. or a father right um loved everything we talked about today Caitlin so thank good. you so much um I wanted to just quickly run through some mm-hmm. research that you think are some of great places to start if you're wanting to implement the style of parenting yeah yeah that's really good I think there's three books that I really love I mean there's so many books out there um one that I really love is called unconditional parenting and that one talks a lot about um bribes and kind of like uh, rewards the concept of like maybe even like withholding things some of the things that we've talked about today that one's really really good um even dives deep into like praise which we didn't even talk that much about um here today on this episode but that one has shaped a lot of how I um, think and raise my kids and respond to them and then um, there's Jesus the gentle parent if you're like a faith-based um, parent that one is amazing it's all obviously about gentle parenting um, and that one is incredible and then similar to that one is called positive discipline and they actually have all different versions of that one I think there's like zero to three and then like maybe three to five and then that one is uh both um, unconditional parenting and positive discipline are written by like counselors, psychologists, like really amazing um, intellectual people on the topic of parenting and positive discipline is really, really, really good. I would say like, there's like tidbits of things I wouldn't agree with. Like they kind of more tend to believe in like the cried out method, which I'll just say, I don't necessarily agree with, but 
I would say 90% of everything. I, I feel sometimes bad or weird condoning something as a whole because I'm not saying I do all the things in there. But as far as like discipline goes and how we talk to our kids developmentally, what they're going through, how we treat them, a lot of stuff we even talked about in here. Like they talk about praise. They talk about the you're okay thing, which I just recently started reading this book. Um, they talk about all those different things. So I think that's like a really, really good beginner um, space. And then, yeah, so those three books would be kind of like the ones that have really shaped me a lot. And then I think align with a lot of the things that I've talked about here today. Awesome. Thank you. I will link those in the show notes. And lastly, Caitlin, where can we find you and keep up with you? Yeah, I think Instagram or social media like Facebook would be a really great place. Perfect. I'll link you in the show notes as well. Other than that, I will talk to you all next time. Thanks so much. Yes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I always appreciate your love via Instagram DM, so feel free to take a screenshot if you're listening and be sure to tag me on Instagram. And of course, if you feel called to, I would love, I'd love to see you leave a five-star rating and review so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time. I wanted to take a brief moment to chat about the relaunch of The Nourished Method, which is my very own signature course that is 12 weeks long and it's going to look a little bit different this time around. So if you were with me last year, I launched the Nourish Method for the first time ever. Thanks so much to the women who joined and gave me incredible feedback for this round so that things can be new and improved. Things are going to look a little bit different. No weekly calls. Um, I feel like a lot of the women got a lot of the answers that they needed from the course and just communicating with me via messenger and the Facebook community. So that's exactly what we're going to do this time around. We're going to have a private Facebook community where all your questions and concerns are going to be answered. I'll be in there every single day. So it's really no different. Um, the course will be dropped all at once. All 12 weeks of modules will be dropped all at once. You'll have the knowledge, wisdom, and tools that I have literally in this course. Um, you'll get trackers, um, meal plans, uh, supplement guides, um, grocery guides, literally so many things, checklists, like the whole nine yards guys. I'm not going to leave you out in the dark. I want you to succeed. I'm also teaming up, teaming up with some really awesome women in the field when it comes to movement and meal plans. So you'll get set up with that. You'll get the whole works. Um, I'm really excited for this round, you guys. And the early bird special starting on February the 4th is $297 paying full. There's also a payment plan option for that. And the price will go up at the end of the week of the 4th um, to $4.97. So be sure to sign up early and let me know if you have any questions on Instagram.